Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Tim Malcolm, the host of the podcast at philliesnation.com. I'm the editorial director. Go to philliesnation.com for all your news, information, opinion, and much more about the Phillies. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation, Twitter at philliesnation, Instagram at philliesnation underscore. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. The podcast, a little bit of a special announcement. We're going to do the podcast every two weeks from now on, primarily because I don't have tons of time in the week to get a podcast out every week. Um, I'm a very busy person right now. There's a lot happening in my life uh, between work and family and all that junk. So um, it's not junk. It's good stuff. But I really can't do a podcast every week. So we're going to do it every two weeks, alternating with Playing the Rube, which is the other podcast that I do with Dan Walsh that will come out next week. So we're going to do every two weeks from now on, alternating those two podcasts each week. This week's podcast has a good guest on it, one of the old Phillies Nation guys, Corey Seidman, who is now on CSNPhilly.com and on TV at CSN Philly. He does the pre- and post-game shows on TV with Ricky Batalico, Tommy Green, Marshall Harris, Michael Barkan, the cast of millions over there. CSN Philly, he does a great job. So Corey talked with me a little bit about just where the team stands right now, going back and looking at some of the great performances of the past couple of weeks, the pitching staff and what the future might hold there in the outfield especially. And with regards to the outfield and pitching staff, I talked with Mike Sadowski about those two things for next year. So in a little bit, we'll talk about the outfield situation. There is quite a big Odubel Herrera argument that we have. It seems to always happen when me and Mike talk. And later on in the show, we will talk about the pitching staff, where we don't have an argument, but Mike clearly is upset about the prospects of the pitching staff in the future. I want to be the guy who says, look, don't be too upset. Don't be too mad. Don't be too sad. It is a tough time as a Phillies fan. We've been saying that for the past two and a half years. And really, since the past... In the past four or five years, it's been a really tough time. We've seen a lot of great former players become shells of themselves. We've seen a lot of bad, washed-up players come into this town and play for a year or a year and a half and really not give us much. We've seen a lot of prospects come in, some not work out, and some are working. But I can say wholeheartedly, and Corey Simon talked about this with me again later on in the show, this is an exciting time. There are some really exciting things happening in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've noticed... But Reese Hoskins looks to be a really good baseball player. And I know it's only been 11 games in his major league career, but Hoskins really does look like a good, at least a hitter. He can't really say much about his defense yet. He's been playing left field most of the time, which is unfair to me. I think he should be playing first base. I know the Phillies aren't getting a lot of Tommy Joseph value-wise, and I understand the circumstances, but it is really tough for Hoskins to move to left field and just have to be that guy right out the shoot in the majors. But Hoskins is having a great start. 237 average, that is the one thing that you look at and go, don't worry about it. The other numbers are great. 383 on base percentage, 632 slugging percentage for an OPS of 1015. There is only one other player in the Phillies uh, right now who has a better OPS, and that is Pedro Florimon, who has eight plate appearances. So, uh, Hoskins a little bit uh, ahead of the game there. But he is so good at seeing pitches. Eight walks to seven strikeouts, which is great to see right early on here. He has five home runs, obviously. He hit 
his latest on Sunday in the ninth inning against San Francisco, where the Phillies were able to get that series tied up at two to finish it off, which was a nice capper to the road trip. He has, at this point, nine hits in 38 at-bats. Five of them are home runs, so he doesn't have any other extra base hits. But this guy can crank it. When he gets the ball up there, it goes out. And he's hit, no doubt, our home runs in San Diego and San Francisco, two very good pitching ballparks. So really good stuff for Reese Hoskins, who it's going to be a while before we know what kind of player he is. But I don't know if we've seen as much promise from one guy offensively in the last three years. Odubel Herrera is a very good offensive player, and he carries his own set of skills that is very helpful. Nick Williams has been great. Uh, 288 with a 345 OVP and a 488 slug, six home runs, eight doubles, three triples. He's an extra base hit machine in his first 177 plate appearances. He's very good. But Hoskins, he comes to the plate, and I feel like every time out he will give a good at-bat. That's the kind of feeling that I had when Chase Utley would get to the plate many years ago, even during Ryan Howard's great run in 2005, 6, 7, and even into 8. Jimmy Rollins, those guys put together great at-bats, and Reese Hoskins seems to be doing it on a regular basis, and it's great to see because the Phillies haven't had a player like that in a while. But Williams looks good. Alfaro, Jorge Alfaro has really came on and played in himself. He looked very lost last year when he was up for about, what was it, 10 days in September? But he came up here, had to come in for Andrew Knapp, who's injured, and Alfaro has made it look relatively good at the plate. 345 average, 345 on base, 448 slug. He has a home run, which he hit in the San Francisco series. The one thing to look at is the strikeout-to-walk ratio. 10 strikeouts, zero walks. That is a carryover from last, uh, over, uh, excuse me, earlier this year in Lehigh Valley when he had a very, very bad strikeout-to-walk ratio. That continues. Alfaro's plate judgment will be the thing that defines him early in his career. He has to improve it. If he doesn't improve it, he will not be an everyday starting catcher in the major leagues. But the skills are there. The tools are there. He can hit. You can see it happening. He's getting line drives over fielders' heads. He's hitting home runs. He had one already. And the catching is pretty good. He's got a great arm, obviously, behind the plate. And the catching of the pitchers is pretty decent for the start. Uh, and Pete McCannon is giving him a chance to work with Nick Pavetta, Ben Lively, not necessarily with Aaron Nolan, Jared Eikhoff, who are major leaguers and have worked with Cameron Rupp a lot. So it makes sense. It'll take time. It'll take a lot of time, especially for Alfaro. It'll take, more, it'll take less time for Hoskins. It'll take less time for Williams. But it'll take a lot of time. And that's what we're seeing here. Finally, we have prospects who are up here and making things happen. It will take time. I swear to you, it's going to have to take time. The other prospect that is making some waves right now, and we've talked about him the last couple weeks, is J.P. Crawford. Crawford's having a great second half in Lehigh Valley. He's right now hitting 246 with a 352 on base percentage and a 408 slug. 13 home runs, most of them happening since the second half started. 17 doubles, 6 triples. He's having a good season. Suddenly, J.P. Crawford is having a very good season at the plate. But here's the news. On Sunday, as the Phillies are finishing up their series against the Giants, J.P. Crawford for Lehigh Valley went over to third base. That's right. Crawford started at third base. Interesting. Very interesting. He had one chance in the game. And funny enough, ironically enough, weirdly enough, it was a bun single by Cody Ashey, of all people. Ashey, of course, a former third baseman for the Phillies. Crawford... I wouldn't say it's a chance that he did well or did poorly on. It was a bun attempt 
Ashley was safe because we might have caught him off guard. Ashley's not really a bunting guy, so it's okay. But Crawford's probably going to get more looks at third base. Why? Two things. One, Michael Franco is not playing well. We've already gone over this a million times, but Michael Franco right now is 224, 277, 389, 17 homers, 22 doubles, 74 strikeouts to 33 walks. I mean, peripherals don't look so bad there, but the guy does not hit safely. He does not hit safely. He's got bad approaches at the plate. He's not improved his approach at all. He's actually, the, the, the approach has gotten worse over the past two, three years. The fielding is average, slightly above average at times, slightly below average others. He don't. He doesn't look like a starting third baseman into the future. We said this was the year where we'd have to answer a bunch of questions about the Phillies. We had to answer questions. Michael Franco, I think, is answering the question: Is this guy a? Re, is he really going to be a major league third baseman who could start every day? I think he's answering the question that no, he's not. And it's likely that he could find himself in Cody Ashy territory. A third baseman, first baseman, left fielder who might get to the majors again one day, but is going to probably go to AAA at some point. I mean, we're at that point with Michael Franco. It's not good. And yeah, he's only 24 years old. He's still very young. But when is Franco going to turn it up again? He has those 10-day stretches where he hits two or three homers, and we all think, ooh, this is the moment. But then it goes back to the usual stuff. Swing at the first pitch, lazy pop-ups, lazy ground balls, 0-2 counts, 0-2 counts, 0-2 counts. So Crawford is probably getting a look at third base because the Phillies are thinking maybe Franco is not long for the position there in Philadelphia. But the other reason is that it's very simple. They want to get Crawford up September 1st. We are less than two weeks away from the September 1st deadline to call up, not deadline, but the September 1st call-up day where the Phillies can call up up to their entire 40-man roster if they wanted to. Crawford will probably get called up. Lehigh Valley, I don't know if you've noticed, is playing their way out of the playoffs in AAA. They have been terrible over the past few weeks. There's a lot of reasons. One, Alfaro's not there anymore, nor is Hoskins, and nor is uh, Nick Williams. The other thing is the pitching, just not good. The pitching's not good. Jake Thompson's not good. Mark Capella's been injured or bad this year. They're not getting consistent performances from anybody else in that rotation. Plus, you have guys from AA coming up finally. Carlos Tochi's playing in center field every day. That's another one who'll probably get added to the 40-man roster. In the offseason, you have Andrew Poulin playing in uh, AAA as well. So Scott, Kring- Scott Kingery is also, of course, there and still playing very well over there. There's a lot of transition. There's a lot of new blood there. It's just a different team than it was earlier in the year when they were rattling off wins like it was nothing. So Lehigh Valley might not be in the playoffs. So that means J.P. Crawford will be available to come up pretty early on in September. And if the Phillies decide, you know what, it's not worth having Crawford in Lehigh Valley because they'll play out the string and lose, bring him to Philadelphia, get him wet get his feet wet, I should say, and there he could play some third base, give Franco some time off. He'll go over to shortstop from time to time. I know Freddie Gallus wants to play every game, but that might not be a reality soon. Maybe he'll even play some second base and Cesar Hernandez will take a day off. I don't know. But the Phillies are trying to expand the versatility of J.P. Crawford because they want to see him in the major leagues. He will probably come up in September. Who knows if Scott Kingery will be up there? There might not be enough space for all those guys to get playing time. But mark my words, it looks like J.P. Crawford is getting a date in Philadelphia in the next week or two. I bring in Mike Sadowski as we continue to take stock of the 2017 Phillies going forward into 2018 and beyond. 
And Mike and I are going to go over what we think the outfield is going to look like next year. Uh, I was doing this with Corey Sharp a few weeks ago on the podcast, going through the entire roster, and came up with just some random, ridiculous ideas. But I wanted to kind of drill in a little deeper with what we think the starting outfield will be for next year's team. So, Mike, um, first off, what do you think the outfield is going to be in your eyes? Do you think it's going to be the same three guys that we're kind of seeing really recently before the Altair injury, that is, or do you think there'll be a change? If I had my druthers, I'd like to see... That's a, that's a Ruben, by the way. That's a Ruben, if I had my druthers. <laughs> um, Nick Williamson left, Altair in center, and then Cousins in right. Now, I know that's, it, that's not how it's going to happen. I just want to see Cousins in the major leagues, and I don't think that the, that the Phillies should give up on him. Well, he's not been great this year in Lehigh Valley. And the problems that he's been having are the problems that he was having before. Talking about his strikeouts to walks, which are still pretty high, and uh, his uh, hitting against lefties, which isn't very strong. So so what, what do you see? Do you think just Cousins, what do you see in him to say he should be up here next year? I just think there's too much power there. I, I You don't want to give away a guy who is going to hit 40 home runs for another team. And I don't know if Cousins is that guy, but I would like to see him get a chance at it. And I would like I I, I kind of wish they would have given him a chance this year to show that, but that's obviously not going to happen. And you're right, the fact that he's only hitting 240 um, is a problem. But he only hit 110 or whatever in the in April, so it's he's actually coming back a little. I just for some reason I just have this thing in my head where I want to see Cousins try and come up and hit major league pitching. And if he's going to hit 40 home runs, I So what do you think of Odubel Herrera then? You don't have him in the starting outfield. Do you think that they should, they're going to trade him, or do you want them to trade him, I should say? Well, what's your view there? The only person on the, he's the only person yeah. of major league experience on this, Phillies with any, on this Phillies team with any value, which means that there should be some kind of market out there for him. I want to explore it, and but I I think that, and forgive me if I've fallen under the Angelo spell, but I, I think I've just got tired of his act. Um, I I do want to see Odubel succeed, and I want to see him succeed in Philly, but I don't want to see him succeed the way that he's doing it now. And it you can only go so long without keep seeing these base running errors and I like Odubel but man is it frustrating to watch him play sometimes um, and when you're at this stage in the franchise I think you're allowed to take some to make some to make some moves that probably aren't the best things to do and like trading away Cousins uh, trading away Odubel might be the best thing for this team to do just so that there's a there's a sign like you can't keep telling someone to do something and him not doing it and expect everyone to fall in line when they can see that you're telling someone, oh, hey, you got to change and this guy's not changing. So we can do anything too. Um, I don't know. It, it, it just seems like from working in office, it seems like bad office. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think what you say is something that a lot of people believe that Dubo Herrera is miscues and his general method of playing baseball 
are things that are too tough to overcome when you have a team that needs a lot more value and Herrera has some value now and it might be worth it to explore it because he doesn't seem to be the kind of player that you want to have a team built around and, and sort of reflect that sort of personality. Um, I, I disagree completely and I've had these Odubo arguments I think with you and other people in the past. I think the way he plays is great. I think the miscues definitely have to be addressed. But I think we need to give him time. They've He's 25 years old. They've been addressed uh, over and over again, and he keeps doing the same things. I, I know. I know he does. I know he does. But still, I, I think he's he's a very he's a very good hitter, and he had a very good second half so far. He got it. He got hurt, of course, last week. So I'm not ready to give up on him. I I, I think my outfield for next year is him, Nick Williams. And probably going to be Aaron Altair. I don't love the fact that they could stick with him because of the injury history, but he does have a lot of potential. Um, but I think the Phillies would be smart in going after someone in a trade. You know, I don't know if like a guy like Steven Souza for the Rays is available, but a guy who can have a pretty decent OBP around 350 or so would be great to have on this team. I know the Christian Yelich stuff is very intriguing. I don't know if he might be available for the Phillies in the offseason, but I, I think it'd be interesting to see them kind of go after someone like that because I don't believe that Cousins is that kind of player. I don't think he's going to be a major league player who's going to stick every day in the outfield. Maybe he will. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe, or maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think I think that's where the problem is. I just I, – and I'd love to see Odubel succeed. And I, I, you know what? I think he will for the Phillies. But, man, it just gets tiring watching him play. I know there's very few people who have actually watched the Phillies like – a decent amount of time this year, but I actually am. And man, watching him is just so frustrating. And maybe it's selfish. Maybe I just don't want to see him play anymore. Maybe I, maybe it's just that I don't want to see, to to go through this anymore. But it, but the exciting stuff is great. I'm I'm fine with the bat flips. I don't give a crap about the bat flips. But it, missing signs on third base and, and stealing third when you shouldn't be. It's it's. These are the and and you say yeah well, well it's been addressed well, you can address it in the off season it's been addressed for two years now this, this isn't just one year it's just one year has been more public but this has been going on for two years now and they keep saying that oh we had to talk with them after the game and now we sat him for a game and but th- this is not the first year this has happened this happened all last year too and I just think I just think it takes a really long time for habits to die you know and. I think it's going to take Herrera a while for him to like be a smarter base base dealer and 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 a runner on the bases and be smarter about routes and he got smarter about that the outfield stuff this year. Yeah, uh, that's, so that's one time. thing you you can't ever say anything bad about his defense. His defense has been outstanding. He's it's become been a dramatic improvement. Center, yeah, he's been one of the best center fielders in baseball and uh, defensively. And I love him in center field. Um, Everything else, I'm I'm worried about. Like, and you were saying, like, oh, well, it takes a long time. How long does it take? Like, when do you? When would you cut bait on something like that? On if if he has that kind of demonstrable statistics over three years now, or two and a half years, he's been hitting very well. He's one of the best offensive contributors this team has had in a while. I would give him a lot more time with the miscues, which are small. I'd give him another three years. I, honestly, like honestly, I like it's a difference three between years. him. 
Okay. It's a difference between him and Michael Franco, who has not demonstrated that he can actually play baseball. That's yeah. frustrating to me. Yeah. That a guy gets up to the majors and can't hit at a consistent level. No, and I, I totally get you, and I don't want to go down the whole Michael like, Franco yeah, yeah. <laughs> wormhole that, good Lord, we can spend forever doing that. But uh, I don't know, and, and you're right, and I'm, I'm probably selling him way too short. I just, it's just... It's been going on for a couple of years now, and <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see it. And, and I think it's more that I'm just tired of hearing Pete McCannon say, "Well, we addressed it after the game, and we and we're gonna, we decided we're going to sit him a game." And or and now this year they even said they they're even like hiding when they're said, "Oh no, he had something on." We this was a scheduled day off after we had a sit down heart to heart come to Jesus meeting, and and <laughs> you know. well, I maybe. Maybe we have to look at Pete McCannon. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the problem. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, that's the, the, yeah, the 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 base running miscues. It just the, it. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I I totally understand. But at the same time, I don't agree. <laughs> if his head isn't in the game, do you really want to start a new era with him? I mean. But he's not your star player, you know? Right now, he's the only guy signed for next year. <laughs> that doesn't mean he's your star player. No, I know, but he's the only one in this. Every guy in that locker room is looking up to him and saying, okay, you're the one with the money. You're the one, with, you're the one that, that this team, this franchise is focusing on, and I want to be like you. How do I be like you? Oh, well, I don't run out ground balls. Um, I... I run through stop signs. I don't know if I want that, but I, I'm probably looking way too much into that. Um, I don't know. I, it's just he, it's just a frustrating brand of baseball to watch. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know if I'd rather him be someone else's problem or not, um, but you're right. I, 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 he could be a, he's a great number two hitter and a great center fielder, and I really hope that he can turn around and and figure this out and that he's on the Phillies for the next five years. Well, we will have probably another Odubel Herrera centric podcast in the future where we can just duke <laughs> it out over Odubel's value. Um, Mike, we'll talk to you a little bit later on the show. All right. Sounds good. Tim. All right. So it's time for my conversation with Corey Simon of CSNPhilly.com. Of course he is on TV and pre and post game shows at CSN Philly at Comcast Sportsnet. He's also online at csmphilly.com where he gets he, he writes a whole bunch of good stuff over there, so you should check him out there. He's also a former member of the Phillies Nation family, writing for Phillies Nation for a while, and he was, of course, one of the co-hosts of Phillies Nation TV with our good friend Pat Gallon over at CBS Philly. A lot of, a lot of good moves being made by guys who used to be a part of philliesnation.com. Corey and I talked on Friday, so this is uh, before the Giants series ended, so he'll talk about tonight, or he might talk about last night. He is uh, talking in Friday, so last night would be Thursday night, et cetera, et cetera. But we had a really good talk about what the Phillies look to probably do the rest of the season when it comes to prospects, and then what 2018 might look like with the outfield and starting pitching, really primarily, because those are the places where the Phillies kind of need to figure out what's going to happen next. And he had some really good suggestions and ideas, and you should listen to him because he's awesome. So here we go. Corey Simon, welcome to the podcast, Corey. Thanks, Tim. I'm really glad to join you, especially at a 
you know, a pretty exciting time in the season here with guys like Hoskins and Alfaro and some of the more exciting prospects that we've been hearing about for years finally up. Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to say, as as poorly as the Phillies have played the last couple of days, I won't say poorly, but they've lost. Uh, actually got swept by the Padres. Now they're starting the series in San Francisco. Um, as as bad as that's kind of gone, it's really exciting because there's a lot of good young talent. Um, and I wanted to start with Hoskins because he's been the big name over the past week. Started out with a bang, had the 0 for 10 slump, but then came out, hit two home runs in his first, in, in, in one game, then hit a third home run the next day. Uh, the power looks like it's there. How bullish are you on Hoskins going forward? Do you think he's a everyday player for many years here in Philadelphia? I do. Uh, I, I see that in Reese Hoskins, not only because of the power, but because of the plate selection. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me early in the Padres series was the game where he homered twice, right in the right before the second home run, it was in a bat against Craig Stammen, a reliever who's been around for a pretty long time, like a decade in the majors. 0-2 count, Stammen throws Hoskins a low and away slider. It was a perfect pitch, a pitcher's pitch, one that the umpire probably calls a strike about 40% of the time. But Hoskins had the confidence to lay off of it, and it was not called a strike. Next pitch, lo and behold, it's a mistake high and over the plate, Hoskins bashes it for a no-doubt-about home run. There are, you know, watching that at bat, I was just thinking, Michael Franco doesn't lay off that pitch. Odubel mm-hmm. Herrera doesn't lay off that pitch. A lot of the players on the Phillies don't lay off that pitch. Tommy Joseph, Cameron Ruff. Play selection is something the Phillies haven't had in the middle of their order for such a long time. And so what we've seen with Hoskins in his first week and a half in the majors is that even if he's not contributing with hits, it looks like he's going to be able to work counts and provide them good at bats. And, you know, I think that's just something that Phillies fans have been clamoring to see for years now because as the game shifted to, toward, you know, more emphasis on things on base percentage and making pitchers work, we saw those 2012 to 2016 Phillies teams where it seemed like everybody had an on base percentage of like 310. So I think that Hoskins long term can be a guy which, you know, 25 to 35 home runs with an on-base percentage maybe 90 points or so better than his batting average. And if he can do that, he's going to be a you know a crucial piece here for years to come. Yeah, there's been a lot of interesting talk about comparisons with Reese Hoskins. I saw Fangrass even throw around names like Joey Votto and Paul Goldschmidt as maybe like the best-case scenario, which would be incredible because these are obviously elite-level players. Do you think that that is a possibility for Hoskins? I'm sure it is in some, like, you know, small percentage, but, but give it a range. Like, where do you think he, where do you think he kind of goes, you know, from here on? Is he that kind of done Goldschmidt's style player? Maybe he's a little bit lower than that. Like, what are you thinking right now? I know it's early. Well, Joey Votto is going to go down as one of the greatest hitters in the history of baseball. So mm-hmm. I have an issue comparing anybody to him. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt, that's, that's been a common comparison because I think Goldschmidt was an eighth-round pick. Hoskins was a fifth-round pick. So, you know, both are viewed as guys who, you know, maybe they didn't show off those flashy tools and skills at the time that they were drafted, and then they kind of just worked their way up through the minor league systems and, and got here by producing. Nothing was given to them. Uh, I don't think that Hoskins is going to be a Votto or a Goldschmidt. I mean, it's hard okay. to compare anybody to those guys. But, you know, I do think that he can be – a first baseman who hits you 275 to 285 with 30 homers and 100 RBIs and you know good OBP and you know the other thing too is the Phillies have been playing him in left field a little bit here with Tommy Joseph at first base and 
Last night in San Francisco, which is probably the toughest outfield in all of baseball to play, Hoskins made a couple really nice plays. He he ran and he got a ball in the in the left center field gap. It was hard hit. You know, he tracked it down. He looked like a, a natural left fielder. He also had an outfield assist later in the game. So I think that we're seeing that Hoskins' entire skill package is a little bit better than someone like Tommy Joseph, who is, you know, all power with no defense, no base running, and really uh, low on base skills. So I think that Hoskins can be a pretty well-rounded player, maybe not a top five first baseman in the majors, but certainly like a top 12 first baseman. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, Okay, Jorge Alfaro, who was also called up recently because of the Andrew Nath injury, I feel like Alfaro actually has gotten himself a little more comfortable. I know he had that small cup of coffee last year in September, and he looked a little bit out of sorts, struck out a couple times. He didn't get a lot of playing time. But it looks as if even despite his plate problems this year in Lehigh Valley, he's come up and he's really kind of fallen back into a nice little comfort level in Philly. Is that, is that, are you, would you agree with that? I would. I think that last year when Jorge Alfaro came up in September, it looked like things were moving at a thousand miles an hour for him, and he was clearly um, not, not. You know, he wasn't ready to be playing regularly then. Well, this time he, you know, Pete McCann's given him some more playing time. I'm pretty sure he has a hit in every game that he started. Although Cameron Rupp has been starting like two thirds of the games, I think that um, it would make a lot more sense to try to get Alfaro at least something close to 50-50 playing time here over the final six weeks of the season because you know that he's going to be up in the majors next season. Um, with Alfaro, uh, I, I question how high the ceiling really might be. Like, I like the solid stroke, I like the bat, um, but there are genuine concerns about his ability to work counts and, and get walks. There are concerns about how many home runs he's going to hit in a year. You know, the, the home run that he hit in San Diego, which StatCast said was the hardest hit home run that they've tracked for any player in his first career homer since that came into play, StatCast, uh, you know, that was, that was great, but, he had really only had one homer over the previous two months at AAA. So he's had a bit of a disappointing season. I was always, I always uh, considered myself more bullish on Alfaro than most people, and I do think that he has a chance to be a difference-making piece. He's just going to have to hit, and he'll get that opportunity next season because, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are aware, after this year he's out of minor league options. So there's mm-hmm. pretty much a zero, there's like a 0% chance that he'll start next year in the minors. He will be in the majors, and then it's just a matter of, is it Nat backing him up? Is it Cameron Rupp backing him up? The Phillies have a lot of decisions to make about that catching situation because none of these guys are regarded as top-flight receivers defensively. Yes. You know, they're not, they're not like elite pitch framers. They don't, um, you know, in terms of like past balls, it's not like you're at the they're, they're top notch in that regard either. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies this off season traded one of Rupp or Knapp and maybe brought in like a veteran catcher to be a third catcher next year on the bench, like a, a Ryan Hannigan type like they had in spring training, just so you have somebody that, you know, can fill that void and be the like mentor type to an Alfaro and Knapp, as long as they're not taking a lot of playing time away from them. Yeah, that was my next question, and you answered it right away, that the Phillies might want to go get a defensive catcher in the offseason. So, yeah, I think we're in the same wavelength there. Uh, Nick Williams, uh, who I'm surprised he's already played 40 games, which it just boggles my mind it's been that quick. But he really looks like he's fluid out there. I mean, the ratios, the strikeout walk is a little bit high, but he still has an OBP in the 340s, uh, which is really solid for someone who I think we had a lot of reservations about. What, what do you see now after kind of getting him settled in the major leagues? Do you think this guy's viable for the next many years uh, in that outfield? Yeah. 
You know, I, I really do. I think that Nick Williams looks like the real deal. I love everything that I've seen from him. He's a guy who has looked great defensively. We've seen that he's very fast. We've seen that the bat speed that we heard about for years is legit. Uh, he is hitting off lefties. I mean, he's hitting over 300 against left-handed pitching with a couple extra base hits. Last night um, in San Francisco, again, one of the hardest places in all of baseball to hit a ball out of the park. Going into the beginning of the Phillies-Giants series, there had been 23 fewer home runs at AT&T Park than anywhere else in the majors. Nick Williams hits the ball 430 feet to right center field for a home run. That, to me, shows me that a guy's legit. You know, hitting one out to the deepest one, the deepest part of the park, deepest parts of the park against a guy like Jeff Samarja, who has a lot of major league experience and can, you know, on, on any given night, Samarja can dominate. To me, that shows Nick Williams belongs here. Uh, I think that... You know, he can be a guy over a full season who hits you 280 with 25 and 100. Uh, and I don't think that's out, I don't think that's out of the question. And the fact that he's also, he also has the capability to play all three outfield spots well, um, you know, I think the Phillies got themselves a good one here. Now the question is just, are any of the other pieces in the Cole Hamels trade really going to pan out? Because right yeah. now you have, you have Nick Williams looking really impressive early in his major league career. You have Jared Eikhoff who has been pretty good for the Phillies, but I, you know, I'd say he's taken a step back this season. And then you have guys like Jake Thompson who's really fallen down the organizational depth chart. Uh, Alfaro, the jury's out on him, and Alec Asher's already been traded away. So uh, that Cole Hamill trade where the Phillies seem to get quantity and quality, it might end up being that Nick Williams is the only star-level or close-to-star-level player they get out of it. And I just kind of wonder if that turns out to be the case. Did the Phillies get enough? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I I would hope to see Williams if he becomes to me a, a close to star player. I think that helps, but you need to see one of those other guys step up a little bit. Maybe it's Alfaro. Uh, maybe Thompson rebounds some way. Maybe Eikhoff, you know, gets that third pitch, you know, finally set. I'm not sure, but yeah, you're right. I think you know the jury's still out on that trade for sure. And, and what we thought was really good a year ago is maybe not so good now. Um, I wanted to ask you about the outfield a little bit in the broader sense because Williams obviously looks great. Herrera, I mean, he's come back, you know, man on fire and has been fantastic. Injury aside, right now, um, but then Altair obviously has the injury history, and we're still looking at Roman Quinn maybe coming back from an injury at some point. Dylan Cousins is in AAA. Then they could go out and get a guy like Christian Yelich or even Giancarlo Stanton at some point. That's been rumored. Uh, what do you see as the future of the outfield for this team going into next year? Do you think that this team makes a big splash, or do they go ahead with Williams, Altair, and Herrera and just have a guy you know or two in the back in the background in, in case someone injures? I think that. The immediate future, like 2018 opening day, I think you'll see Odubel Herrera in center, Nick Williams in one of the corners, Aaron Altair in the other corner. Uh, I do not think that Roman Quinn and Dylan Cousins can be firm pieces of the Phillies' long-term plan just because Quinn has yet to play a full season. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he's yet to even reach 500 plate appearances in any season because of his just lengthy injury history and you know, the Phillies are going to face an interesting decision with Quinn this, this offseason because they have a 40-man roster crunch. They're going to have to add a couple more guys to the 40 to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. And someone like Roman Quinn, it's like, how long can you continue to have him taking up a roster spot if he's going to miss half of every season? Uh, he has that injury to his non-throwing elbow that's probably going to keep him out here for the remainder of 2017. Then with Dylan Cousins, I mean, last I checked, he was in 219. Uh, the homers are great, but he just strikes out so much. He does not hit lefties. He's not regarded as an above-average defensive outfielder. So, to me, 
Cousins looks more like a, a piece that could be used in a trade. Like maybe you maybe you package someone like Dylan Cousins and one or two of the pitching prospects you have, and that gets you a, a major league ready piece at a different position. I think that you know there if you have Herrera, Williams, and Altair, that's a pretty good outfield. I mean, that's three guys who look like they can hit 280 to 300 with some pop and with good defense. I mean, Odubel Herrera grades out as one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball this season. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a Gold Glove finalist last year. He might win the Gold Glove this year if it doesn't go to Billy Hamilton. Uh, so the Phillies outfield picture is actually kind of set. It's which seems crazy to say because a few years ago they had nobody in the outfield picture. Um, yeah. But wh- while I do think that. Giancarlo Stanton is absolutely worth trading for. I mean, I, 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 I said that even before. I said that even before that hot streak that he went on, and I do think yeah. that the Phillies have legitimate interest in him. It's just, I don't think that. I really struggle to think that any team is going to give the Marlins several top-flight prospects and take on all of that salary. I just don't see that happening. If all it is, if all it is, is taking on the salary, I think the Phillies would go get him. Yeah, uh, but I don't. I, but I don't think the Phillies would like trade Nick Williams and uh, you know Vince Velasquez and Michael Franco and maybe a couple lower level prospects to get Stanton and pay him two hundred ninety five million dollars after this season. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the off season. And I think you're right. I think they'll probably stay the course with the the guys that they have in organization. But you never know. Things could things could wildly change. Um, I want to kind of shift focus to the pitching staff because it, you know besides Aaron Nola, who he did have a rough start his last time out, but for the most part has been fantastic this season. Besides Nola, you have a real sort of you know, black hole in the pitching staff. And uh, you said Eikhoff has struggled. You know, who knows what the future is there. But guys like Velasquez, guys like Ben Lively, guys like Zach Eflin, you know, you can go down the line, Nick Pavetta. You know, we don't know what we're seeing yet. We haven't answered our questions about those guys. What does this team do uh, over the next two months here? I mean, I'm sure that they're going to test these guys as much as possible. But do you think if none of these guys appears as a guy that they can stick in the rotation next year, that they completely change the course with the rotation next year and just go with Nolan and whoever else they pick up? I think that the starting pitching situation is going to be the most interesting one this offseason because you have Aaron Nola, who's a lock for the rotation. Jared Eikhoff is a lock, too, as like a okay. back-end starter. And then Nick Pavetta has flashed enough this season to – uh, definitely be worth looking at for 30 starts if he can make 30 starts next season. If it doesn't work out for Pavetta, maybe he does become a closer or a multi-inning reliever like an Andrew Miller or a Chris Davinsky. But I think that the Phillies are really going to need to go out and either sign or trade for starting pitchers this offseason because Zach Eflin, Ben Lively, Vince Velasquez, Jake Thompson, there's a chance that none of them – can stick in a major league rotation for multiple years. I mean, there are knocks you can make against all of them. Thompson hasn't showed uh, any pitch that's above average in the major league. Zach Eflin is either really good or really, really, really bad on any given night. Ben Lively, great command, but there's really no pitch that tells you, okay, this guy can succeed long-term. Vince Velasquez, injuries, ineffectiveness, inefficiency. So, you know, we keep talking about that 2018 free agent class, a 2018-19 class that includes Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson, uh, some really, really good players. The thing is, none of those guys are going to want to come to Philadelphia unless the Phillies have a somewhat competitive team. And when I'm talking somewhat competitive team, I'm talking about starting pitchers who keep you in a game longer than two, three innings. Mm-hmm. So the Phillies might really have to go out and shift their philosophy. You know, the the whole grow the arms, by the bats philosophy, they might have to, you know, go out and buy a couple arms. I don't know who that specifically might be this offseason, 
but it certainly would seem to it certainly would seem to me that the Phillies are interested in taking the next step next season and, and, and trying to maybe get closer to 500 and then push the needle forward when other guys become available in free agency. They're going to have to add to this pitching staff because there's just too many question marks. Yeah, I think you're right. I think pitching is going to be the big topic of conversation this off season. And if they do want to get a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or someone like that, they do need to be a little more comp- competitive next season for sure. Um, uh-huh. sw- switching gears, um, wanted to ask you a very important question. Twenty years from now, when twenty years from now, when people look back at uh, your career as one of the best sports writers uh, in baseball. Are they going to look at Phillies Nation TV and think that you and Pat Gallon had something amazing going on, and that was the beginning of it all for you? <laughs> uh, first off, I, first off, that's really flattering. I really appreciate you saying that. And obviously, Phillies Nation, Phillies Nation really helped me in so many ways get my career started, both writing and you know getting me comfortable on air. Um, you know, I, the one thing that I kind of really just regret with Phillies Nation is that we got it started. In 2012, I think 2012 was the first year, and those were the leanest years. You know, 2012 and 13, yeah. when not only was the team bad, but there just wasn't much, there wasn't much excitement on the horizon. You know, we didn't yet have the the Hoskinses and the Williamses to talk about. Um, and I just wish that it would have lasted a little longer into this period where there's a lot more interest, and then into the future when the, the team got good. Because you know, I really was proud of the work that we did with Phillies Nation TV. We were putting on analysis that you just don't see all the time, especially locally. And I can't think of any other, you know, blog in the entire country during that time that was able to turn itself into a viable TV show. And I really give Brian Michael a lot of credit for that, and I give Pat a lot of credit for helping me in those early days kind of sharpen up uh, my on-camera skills in the same ways that, like, I kind of helped him by writing most of the shows and coming up with some of the more interesting talking points. So... Yeah, I mean, that, that, to me, I, I look back at that experience and I think that I wouldn't be where I am in my career today if it wasn't for that because doing 102 episodes, as I think it was, I mean, you do anything long enough, you get better at it. So mm-hmm. it definitely helped me and I, I definitely miss doing the show. It was fun. It was, uh, you know, kind of a, a different way of looking at baseball and you don't get that on a local level. I mean, you get that somewhat nationally, like MLB Network does a great job with all their different broadcasts, like, you know, how you, you get a different vibe from MLB Tonight than you get from MLB Now than you get from High Heat. Uh, but lo- on the local level, there isn't that much differentiation between the, the type of analysis you see. So I was really proud of what Pat and I got to do and wish it could have lasted a little longer, but I guess, you know, 100, 102 episodes wasn't so bad of a run. But you, but you do have a great platform now for your analysis, and, and you get to bring that to uh, viewers and readers across the Delaware Valley now on CSN Philly. Uh, what do you? So you're doing a lot of pre and post game stuff too, right? You're working with Metallica, working with uh, Marshall Harrison, and those guys, Tommy Green. Yeah, I'm on I'm on pre game and post game multiple times a week. I'd say like two, three times a week on average. Uh, I have you know so many different duties on so many different days. Like I'm either at the ballpark or I'm doing pre post or I'm writing or I'm editing, uh, but. I'm really liking what I'm doing right now with the pre and post game because, you know, what it is is like, you know, I'll be watching the game with Ricky Bowe and Marshall or Michael and we're just talking about stuff and then the show starts and they come to me and it's really like I'm on a different set and I have to be coming up with more, like next level things. Like I have to, they're talking about the main things that happen in the game and then when they come over to me, it's up to me to have something that, you know, whether it's a really good stat or an observation that I made that maybe not everybody picked up on, that to me, I really like that because uh, it, it, 
I think it heightens the conversation. It only makes the broadcast better. And I think that the you know the pre and post game shows have, have been really good this year. We have a great producer in Sean Kane, and despite the you know the unexciting brand of baseball the Phillies have had for most of this season, there's been a lot to talk about, whether it's trade rumors or call-ups or why isn't this guy up. And what I like to see is that there's still a lot of Phillies fans who are engaged right now, despite um, how bad the team's been for how long it's been. You know, this yeah. this period has let la- You realize, like, this period of down baseball has lasted longer than that golden era. Like we're now at twenty, we're now at twenty twelve to seventeen. That's what six seasons compared to five seasons where they were running the NL East. So, I, I, to me, that just shows that there's enough interest in this team, and there will remain enough interest in this team that when it gets good again, we're going to start seeing sellouts again. We're going to start seeing baseball take this town over again, the way that like the Eagles and Sixers are dominating right now. So that's definitely exciting. And the other thing that you do bring to the uh, the coverage on CSN Philly is you're the guy who's able to put other people's faces on ridiculous pictures on Twitter. Uh, I see all the time that you're messing around with them. Uh, it must be a it must be a fun time hanging out with those guys. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, there are a lot of days where I say like that I can't believe that this is considered work. You know, like yeah. um, last night, for example. I don't know if you saw, but. Uh, and we're only joking about this because he's okay, but Brandon Crawford, the Giants' gold glove shortstop, made an errant throw before the game, and it bounced and it hit Jim Salisbury, our Phillies insider, square in the crotch, and there was a video of it. So, like, you know, I got I get into work this morning, and the first thing I do is I write an article about how a colleague got hit in the nuts. So, I mean, like, there's some, day, there's some days you really think about it, and it's like, wow, how is this even a job? But, no, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's a lot of fun, and... Um, you know, I, I think that in this era where the landscape has just shifted so dramatically, like people don't consume sports news or sports video the way they used to. People don't really watch TV for highlights. They find the highlights on Twitter or they find the highlights on the MLB app or wherever. So now it's up to us to figure out different ways to draw people in. And that's what really excites me and gets me going because I, what, I guess my main goal, my overarching goal is that I'm trying to like bridge the gap between the old school baseball fans who use the eye test for everything and a lot of this like new way of looking at things where there's a metric and there's a stat for everything. Now there are some stats and metrics that I stay away from just because I think that uh, we look at like war as gospel despite the fact that really nobody knows how it's calculated. And you know, we, we, we cite defensive metrics all the time despite the fact that it's always accompanied by the caveat now these are imperfect. Um, yeah. So I try to stay away from some stuff like that, but what I also try to do is uh, explain things to that older community in a way that they can understand because I feel like that is the main disconnect. You know, the Brian Kennys of the world, guys like that were so gung-ho about analyzing the game they want to. I think they just turn a lot of people off because they're so narrow-minded in their view and they're not willing to accept that, like, you know, maybe someone else's opinion has validity as well. So I'm kind of just trying to mix all of that together and, you know, look, not everybody's going to like what you do. I have my haters. I love retweeting my haters and posting stuff like that. Uh, but, I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's it's going well here and I think that once the team gets good again, a lot of this, um, a lot of the good things we're doing with our Phillies coverage is going to be more apparent. Yeah, well, obviously you guys are doing a great job and, and you do really well yourself and congratulations on all the uh, the great stuff that's happened to you, Cor. Uh, you can follow Corey Seidman on CSN Philly, uh, at, of course, at Pretty Post Game Live. You can catch his stuff on CSNPhilly.com, including articles about Jim Salisbury getting hit in the crotch with a baseball. Uh, <laughs> Corey, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been, a ble- it's been a pleasure. Yeah, of course. And Tim, I just want to say one thing, too, that when I first got to Philly's Nation, I think it was back in, I want to say, 2009, 
you, I think, were leaving at that point to go start something else. And I remember that time vividly because, you know, it was a much different landscape back then. Even though it was only eight years ago, the Internet was just such a different place. And Phillies Nation was one of the first, you know, blogs that had credible writers and legitimate analysis. And you were really – and you remain someone that I really look up to in terms of writing style. I mean – I think that you really you can go into any type of writing that you want. I don't mean to you know blow smoke up your ass here, but uh, <laughs> I just you know I I kind of felt like that when I, when Pat and I took over for you almost we had big shoes to fill, and I remember those early days where like every other comment was like who are these guys? Where's Tim? So I'm glad that everything's kind of come full circle and that you're back at PN. Yeah, it's a good time, and I thank you for the. I really, it's, it's great to hear that, and you know, I, I really appreciate it. And, and things are going well in my writing, so that's good to know. So, uh, Corey, again, thanks, man. Uh, continued success in everything you do. Thanks, man. Anytime. All right, so I bring back Mike Sadowski. We're not talking Odubel Herrera because it is the pitching staff we're talking about now. Starting pitchers for 2018. What is the starting rotation going to look like? I think one guy is penciled in, compl- well, in pen, I guess now, Aaron Nola. Uh, the rest... It's in, it's in Sharpie marker. It's in Sharpie. That's true. That's true. Nola's in Sharpie. Um, underlined and italicized. And yeah. um, anybody else? Who knows? So, Mike, tell me what you think going into next year. Are there any other guys internally that you think will be on this rotation to start next year? Oh, internally, I think there's going to be. Um, I don't, just for the sake of money, there will be guys because they're not going to have to pay them. Um, they're not going to pay them top dollar. Uh, I I really, really do hope that they're going, going to go out and find at least two guys who are more than clay buckles. Um, <laughs> but I would, I still, I, I, I want to see... Some of these guys get a shot. Like I don't know why Tom Eshelman hasn't gotten a shot yet when Mark Leiter is taking up starts. I mean, are we really thinking that Mark Leiter is going to be on this team three years from now? Um, Probably not. I, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I the the only argument to not put Tom Eshelman in those spots is just because he has to be added then to the forty man roster, which and I, is that's probably insane. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I, I I really think like a lot of the guys in the Philly press are just like uh, whatever it's the Phillies we don't none of our editors really care anymore but so, someone should be pressing them on why Tom Eshelman isn't up because there's obviously no reason that he should still be in the minors he's done everything they've asked him to I'm sure so so with Eshelman he's having a great year as you had said he's got eight walks and what is it now 43 strikeouts in Lehigh Valley. 3.332 ERA in Lehigh Valley. Um, do you think that he's on the rotation next year? It sounds like you think so. I don't know if he's on the rotation next year, but I want to see him given a shot. Um, I don't see why. I think the Mark Leiter Jr. era can pretty much end now, today, <laughs> yesterday. I, and But, I mean, when we're talking, like, internally, we're talking – the guys who could, who could possibly be here next year, we're talking what? Ben Lively? No. Nick Pavetta? Probably no. I, it, it's just a laundry list of guys who are all number three starters, and that's their ceiling. We don't want guys who are number three starters. We want guys who could possibly be number two starters, number one starters, 
Um, I mean, Jake Thompson probably now isn't going to be that guy. I mean, I don't know what's gotten into him, and maybe something can be worked out in the offseason where he figures out what's going on. Um, but I, they're definitely going to have to look externally at least for a couple of years before the Sixto Sanchez's and the Franklin Colomes come up, um, and they could possibly be the, that more dominant type starter. But right now, all they have is dink and dunk three and four starters, and that's not going to cut it. Well, I, I, I do think Nick Pavetta has probably earned more of a shot. I mean, his ERA looks bad, but he does have strikeout stuff. And that alone will get you more of a look than other guys. And yeah, it hasn't yeah. quite produced yet in the major league level. But he had a very good start to the season in AAA. They really liked him in spring training. I think they want to give him more chances, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Ben Lively, I, I think maybe he'll get a chance too, just because he has been relatively consistent at the major league level. He had a pretty decent start on Sunday against San Francisco. I think he might get a bigger shot. But you're right in that the guys who they have internally are mostly, I mean, really like five starters at this point. Um, and they do need top flight talent. I, I know that for sure. So let me ask you then, like, if you're the Phillies going into the offseason, what type flight pitching talent are you looking for to get in a trade or in free agency? I want to try and look a little bit above Clay Buckles, um, but that kind of person with the kind of upside that Clay Buckles might have brought, like Michael Pineda is a free agent this year and pitched well for the for the Yankees for most of the year. I mean, there are some guys out there that are pretty attractive. Chris Tillman, uh, who would, again, would be a number three starter, but I mean, now the fact that he's actually been good is probably going to mean that you're going to have to pay him $15 million a year. I'm not sure if that's where they want to go. Um, but I, I I think there are some decent options out there. Like the or Pineda, um, Lance Lynn even. Um, I, I know like all the the peripherals and his stats say that he's having way too much of a, a good year and he's going to regress. But I, I just guys who are going to, I don't know, be like, be consistent. It's really tiring. <laughs> yeah. Better go out and strike strike out 11 guys in five innings and still give up six runs. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's tough to take. It's tough to take. It's tough to watch. I mean, I think there there's there's options out there, and I think Matt Clintech is just going to have to be creative. Well, um, well, there's there they have there's a glut in the outfield. We all we all know that. Um, there, <clears throat> who knows? There might be a market for Vincent Velasquez. Someone might want to take a chance on his arm. I don't. I think I'm pretty much out of the Vince Velasquez business. Um, but and I, I'm kind of hoping the Phillies are too. Um, but there's there's got to be a market out there where some of these prospects can pull something in. Well, I I think you're... Okay, so Michael Pineda I'd be very careful about because I think he might not pitch for quite a while. He has an elbow injury that could very well take out his career. Oh. Yeah. yeah, so I'd be careful about him. But Lance Lynn, I think, is a good option. Um, and you said, yeah, there might be regression there. But Lance has been a relatively consistent starter for his entire career. He has an ERA somewhere in the mid-threes when he's even normal. Uh, his walk rates are a little bit higher than they like to be, but I think he's a yeah. decent pitcher. Um so I think that's a good option, right? He's a free agent. Alex, Alex Cobb too. Yeah, Cobb's good. Been. Yeah. Um, but but what about a trade? Do you think that maybe they try to score? I mean, I don't know who might be available in the trade market, but you know, you're looking around. Um, 
Uh, who would who who might be going? You know, is there a team out there that is that is looking to deal? You know, their their number one or number two guy. Um, you know, like a Justin Verlander or something like that, or you know, someone like that. I mean, do you think that might be more in the cards? I, I mean, I hope that they would actually get in. Um, but obviously, it didn't happen, and I don't even know if they even entertain that. But I thought that because he's under contract. Years, I think. Um, I thought that would have been a good option, um, but but someone in that Sunny Gray mold, um, like I I do not want them to go after you Darvish. Like I don't want them spending 125 million over five years for someone like you Darvish, which is what he's going to get uh, for somehow some way. I don't know how, but someone is going to pay you Darvish five years and 125 million, and I don't want those. Uh, but so I don't want them going after those those top guys but I think there's there's got to be a pretty good medium in there somewhere that they can get and hopefully it's not Jeremy Hellick <laughs> I don't I don't think it will I don't think it will be <laughs> yeah there's probably there's probably going to be there's got to be some good trade options there and that's what Matt Clintech has to get creative yeah and he's got to he's got to this is this is his job now and this is a he's really he He's gotten probably a pass for the last two years because this team has been so bad um, and taking chances on guys like Buckholes and stuff. But now I think he's got to, I think he's got to step in and be a cleanup hitter and take a good swing this this offseason. So, so my rotation going into next year at the moment, and Lance Lynn was actually on my list. I don't, I, well, this, it, the, you okay? Yeah, do I want to hear this? Is this, this going to make my head hurt? No, no, no. I well, look, I don't think they're going to. They might make a big move. They might, but I think at this point they're still not going to do it. And as much as that might pain some people, I think that is probably the case. Nola Eikhoff. I think Eikhoff is the closest you get to a sure thing coming back next year, along with Nola. I would honestly believe they're going to try out Pavetta a little bit longer, and I think they might try out Lively a little bit longer, or Eshelman as that fourth guy, and then Lance Lynn, who was actually on my list as the number five, or he'd be like the number two or three starter. So what's your what's your five? Like, if you go into next year with five, who is it going to be? I mean, that's pretty close. I, I, just, I just don't. I, I think Velasquez is still going to be in there. Um, I think they're going to give him another shot. And so I, I would probably take out, I would probably take out Lively and put in Velasquez and then say that whatever kind of, and, and Martin Perez, too, I think that I think he's got a club option, um, but I don't think the Rangers are going to bring him back. Um, but I think he would do well to get out of the American League and get out of the and get out of Arlington. Um, I think that would be a pretty good option if if the Rangers don't pick up his option. Um, but man, I, I can't even give you a five because it it seriously might make me vomit. I love thinking about the future, and yet with you, it's very dark. <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but really, I, I think it depends on what Clintac's going to do, and I I really think this is this is the off season where I think we can really hold him under the fire because and I had and I think we've given him a pass, and I'm absolutely guilty of giving him a pass this year. Um, but I think that ends this year. I think that ends with this off season unless he can do something spectacular. Okay. Well, so you're putting the and it better be with it better be with the pitching staff. You're, you're putting the red light on for the for for, for Tech. I'm probably more in yellow, but that's fine. Um, we can all have our own alarms for everybody, from Matt Clentac <laughs> to Dubal Herrera. It doesn't matter, you know. 
So, <laughs> all right, Mike, um, we'll talk to you later on. All right, sounds good, Tim. I'll talk to you soon. My thanks to Corey Seidman again for the interview earlier on in the show. Thanks to Mike Sadowski for talking Phillies with me, including that great Odubel Herrera conversation. I'll show up about it finally. Also, thanks to BenSound.com for the music for the podcast. The Phillies Nation podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Phillies Nation. Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore. Twitter at Phillies Nation. And PhilliesNation.com is a place for your Phillies news, rumors, information, and much more. Today, we have a piece from Sadowski about the Little League Classic, which was on Sunday in Williamsport at the Crosscutter Stadium. Funny enough, and the Pittsburgh Pirates played the St. Louis Cardinals in that in that game. It was a great showing, uh, really fun. All the little league kids got to go to the game for free. It was pretty awesome. Mike, of course, talking about what the Phillies should be doing to be part of that conversation next year. And I think he's right. The Phillies should be part of the Little League Classic going into the future. Maybe they can host it next year. They can do it in Williamsport, of course. It should be there. Obviously, that's the point of it. But the Phillies, hey, they have the team in Williamsport in the stadium there. They don't own the Crosscutters, but it is their affiliate, so maybe they should get a chance to get the hosting uh, uh, opportunity as well. But a really great thing that happened yesterday in Williamsport. Phillies, meanwhile, have a day off today. They come back at it tomorrow, Tuesday. The Miami Marlins, a doubleheader. Aaron Nola on the hill in game one. So hopefully we'll get a win. Hopefully Nola can bounce back from his last bad start. We're not going to worry about that right now because Nola has been pretty awesome this season. And that'll do it for the Phillies Nation podcast. Again, thanks for doing it. Every two weeks we'll be on next week playing the Rube. We continue, myself and Dan Walsh, will try to make the 2009 Phillies a better team than Ruben Amaro left it. And, of course, going forward into 10, 11, 12, 13, trying to keep the Phillies competitive. I will give you a hint. We are not doing a good job right now, but it's a really fun podcast. A lot of great stuff happening. You should listen to it every week. It'll be coming out on Friday. So we have the Phillies Nation podcast on Monday and playing the Rube on Friday a couple days later. Then there'll be a gap, and then the next Phillies Nation podcast. That's how it'll go. For the Phillies Nation podcast, I am Tim Malcolm. We will check you later.